You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello and welcome back to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M. Today I'm going to try my best to break down the thyroid gland and we're going to talk about hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism and what it basically can lead to. And the way I remember the differences between like the adrenal problems, the thyroid problems, this is going to sound ridiculous, but if you can just get into the habit of like for endocrine stuff saying ACMT. It sounds stupid the way the cadence is done, but ACMT is, the AC is for Addison's and Cushing's and those go hand in hand and those are adrenal cortex problems, adrenal issues. And the MT is for myxedema coma and thyroid storm and these are specific to thyroid gland problems. So that's the one way that I keep the two like severe ends of the spectrum straight and which endocrine gland is affected. But with that, let's just let's just talk about the thyroid gland. So it's located on the anterior part of your neck. And what the thyroid gland is really responsible for is controlling the rate of body metabolism and growth. And the way by which it does that is it produces T4, T3, and thyrocalcitonin. And T4 is thyroxine, and T3 is triadothyrine, if that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. We always just reference it as T3, T4. A normal T4 level is going to be 5 to 12 micrograms per deciliter. Now, that, that might be different depending on which hospital you might be working in or which clinic you might be working in and which lab laboratory they're using to run specimens down. But that's a good average. For T3, a normal T3 range should be 110.4 to 337.7 nanograms per deciliter. Now, never in my life have I seen a nursing school require that you know those exact numbers, but for frame of reference, if you're someone who likes to know that information, there you go. And then the additional part of the thyroid gland that I'm not going to talk about today because I'm just going to focus on hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism are the parathyroid glands, and those are located on the thyroid, and there's four little glands, two on each side, and they control calcium and phosphorus metabolism, and they produce the parathyroid hormone. So those also exist. I don't want to just ignore them. They do exist. But today we're going to talk about hypo and hyperthyroidism. And because we're talking about the thyroid gland, there is one other hormone I need to mention. It's the thyroid stimulating hormone, frequently seen as TSH. And that is actually produced in the pituitary gland, in specifically the anterior lobe. And that goes hand in hand because when your thyroid doesn't work correctly, the pituitary gland will try to kick in and stimulate it to say, hey, thyroid, produce something. So with that, let's just talk about hypothyroidism. And hypothyroidism is when the thyroid doesn't produce enough T3 and T4. And because it's not producing enough T3 and T4, guess what happens? It results in decreased rate of body metabolism. So someone's metabolism is going to go to the absolute bottom and they're not going to have good metabolism because they're not making T3 and T4, which is responsible for that. Now, there's two different types of hypothyroidism. Primary hypothyroidism results from dysfunction of the thyroid gland. So something is literally wrong with the gland that makes it stop producing or reduce its production of T3, T4. Secondary hypothyroidism is when the thyroid is not being stimulated by the pituitary to produce hormones. So the pituitary gland is not producing that thyroid stimulating hormone to tell the thyroid like, hey, get on your game, start producing it. 
the way that we diagnose people for hypothyroidism and for hyperthyroidism, right, is going to be a blood test. We're going to look specifically at T3, T4, and lo and behold, TSH. And what we should see is that in this blood test, we should see that the T3 and the T4 are low and the TSH should be high. Why? Because the pituitary recognizes that the thyroid is not producing T3, T4, and the pituitary gland kicks in and says, thyroid, make more hormone. So it will secrete more thyroid-stimulating hormone to a thyroid that, for whatever reason, cannot make T3 and T4. That's one way to diagnose it. Another way that they can diagnose it is with a radioactive iodine uptake test, which is basically just a test of a thyroid function. Uh, what they essentially do is they will have the person either, in, they'll either inject or have them take by mouth some radioactive iodine that accumulates in the thyroid gland. And then after a specific period of time, they'll come back, they use a gamma probe, they place it over the thyroid gland, and they measure the amount of radioactivity in that gland. So sorry about the cat in the background. Three other ways that we can diagnose hypothyroidism are with a T3 and T4 resin uptake. Again, those results will show that they're just low. We can also do a thyroid scan like with ultrasound and we do that to look for, say, growths. And then they can do a thyroid needle aspiration and throw that sample under a microscope and look at it that way. Now, here's the deal. With hypothyroidism, what do these patients look like? Here comes the pie analogy, okay? How are they going to present? Well, if we know the thyroid is directly linked to metabolism, they're going to be lethargic and they might be fatigued because they're not going to have the metabolic activity to be able to process the food and convert it appropriately. With that, they also might have um, weakness. They might have muscle aches. These people are also going to be very, they're going to have an intolerance to cold. They don't like the cold because they don't have a metabolism to generate heat, so they're cold all the time. This newsflash is remedied when we fix it with some sort of thyroid medication. And because their metabolic activity is off kilter, they're going to have some weight gain. They're likely to have dry skin or hair or even a loss of hair. And then their heart rate is likely to be bradycardic. Uh, they're likely to suffer from constipation, again, because everything is slowing down. Uh, they might be forgetful. They might have menstrual disturbances if they were assigned female at birth. And in the end of it, if we don't catch this and treat it, they can lead to generalized edema around the eyes and the face, which can lead to myxedema coma or cardiac enlargement, which can develop into heart failure. So assuming that we catch someone appropriately before they go down the severe rabbit hole into myxedema coma with just hypothyroidism, what are we going to do for interventions? This is the I. Well, the intervention is we're going to give them a thyroid replacement, specifically levothyroxine, to make up for the lack of the T3 and the T4 that the thyroid isn't producing. The other things that we're going to need to do is we need to monitor their vital signs, specifically their heart rate and rhythm, because they can be quite bradycardic. And if you're bradycardic, you can then also become symptomatic. Make sure that you're providing them a warm environment. Again, they're intolerant to cold. Make sure that we're monitoring potential electrolyte values because that seems like a good idea because we are having this massive shift of metabolic activity. And then from a nursing perspective, you also want to keep an eye on whether or not they're having constipation. Now, how do we evaluate whether or not it works? Well, you can do a repeat blood test and see if their lab levels have come up. But also, just from like an assessment perspective, the lethargy will go away. These people feel so much better. They have 
have more energy, they lose weight, they're not bradycardic, they don't deal with constipation, they're no longer forgetful. So everything you can think of associated with a decreased metabolic rate and metabolism overall and everything that it slows down, the way we evaluate whether or not it works is did it remedy all of those things? And then we educate this patient on thyroid replacement. We educate them on potentially a low calorie diet because they're going to be supplementing their thyroid. And until it's in check, you want to make sure that they're following somewhat of a low calorie diet because they don't have the metabolic revving of an engine yet fully sustained. Now, let's say we just didn't catch the hypothyroidism and we just let this patient traverse into my exedema coma land, which is a hot box. It's a fun test-taking opportunity for both NCLEX in the United States and for many nursing schools. My exedema coma is super rare, but it is serious, and it results from persistently low thyroid production, persistently low. And what can really you know, tip this person into my exedema coma can be anything caused like by an acute illness. If they had a rapid withdrawal of thyroid medication, so let's say someone was taking their thyroid supplement and then they couldn't afford it, so then they just stopped taking it completely. That's a rapid withdrawal that can then precipitate this person going into a myoxedema coma if they're not, you know, addressed. Hypothermia, anything that stresses the body out, anesthesia, surgery, these things can precipitate myoxedema coma. And what does this person look like if they are going to end up in this arena with hypothyroidism? Well, if they don't have a metabolism and we know what they were suffering from earlier, they're, you know, even more bradycardic. Now they're going to be hypotensive. Now they're going to have an altered mental status. They're going to be hypothermic because they're intolerant to cold. They're going to have generalized edema everywhere. And ultimately this leads to respiratory failure and coma, which is bad. So here's what you do from a nursing intervention if you think your patient has myoxedema coma. Maintain their airway. This is a trend. And then you're going to want to assess these patients' temperature hourly and monitor their blood pressure status. Keep them warm. Their body can't do it for them because their thyroid's off kilter. So keep them warm. Monitor for changes in their level of consciousness and monitor their electrolyte and glucose levels. And then what we're going to give them is IV fluids as prescribed. And then we're going to give them IV levothyroxine. And we might then also give them IV dextrose and we might also give them some sort of corticosteroid and we give them the corticosteroids because patients who present with myoxedema coma may also have an adrenal insufficiency podcast coming on adrenal insufficiencies stand by and so giving a stress dose of an IV steroid must be administered along with that initial thyroid replacement until the adrenal function has been determined to be normal so that's why we would do that okay so that's hypothyroidism with myoxedema coma. Now let's talk about hyperthyroidism. And hyperthyroidism is just, go figure, hypersecretion of T3 and T4. And this is characterized by an increased rate of body metabolism. Um, it can also be caused by Graves' disease or aka a toxic diffuse goiter. But someone who's hyper, who's got hyperthyroidism, what are we going to do and how do we diagnose it? So from the labs, their T3 and T4 will be elevated and go figure their TSH will be low because the pituitary doesn't need to secrete thyroid stimulating hormone because we're making too much of it already. And then similarly, there we can also do a radioactive iodine uptake. And again, that those radioactive traces will just light up that thyroid incredibly. And then we can also do the T3 and the T4 resin uptake, but this time it will be elevated. And again, we'll do thyroid scans like an ultrasound looking for those growths or a thyroid needle aspiration and throw those samples down on a microscope to look at it that way. 
But here's the deal with hyperthyroidism, right? Because the thyroid, again, is responsible for metabolism, what are these patients going to look like? Here's your pie analogy, okay? When we look at them, these people are going to be irritable and agitated and have mood swings. They're going to be have nervousness and they're likely to have fine tremors, again, because their metabolism is revving. And because their metabolism is revving, they're going to have weight loss. They're going to be heat intolerant, meaning they don't, they're hot all the time. They're going to have really smooth, soft skin and hair because everything's turning over because the metabolism is on fire. They're likely also to have palpitations. They might have tachycardia. Sometimes they might flip into atrial fibrillation, but either way, their heart is going to speed up. And because everything is moving faster, they're going to have diarrhea versus, you know, the hypothyroidism counterpart who had constipation. These people have diarrhea. Uh, They might also have protruding eyeballs, also called exophthalmos, and this is categorized as an inflammatory process that is autoimmune mediated. And then they're likely also to be diaphoretic. They're also going to be hypertensive and they can have that enlarged thyroid gland or goiter. And so in the United States, why don't people get goiters as often? Does anyone know if you're thinking that the table salt that we use is got iodine in it, that would be correct. Because the most common cause of goiters worldwide is a lack of iodine in the, in the diet. So how are we going to intervene then? And here comes the eye of the pie analogy. Basically, we're going to do all sorts of things to remediate everything that they're having happening that we gathered in our assessment. So we want to provide them adequate rest because their system is constantly revving. We want to give them a really cool, quiet environment because they're really, really hot. Take their daily weights because they're they're actively losing weight without even trying. And then we want to introduce a high calorie diet. We also want to keep the head of the bed really elevated if exothalamus, which is those protruding eyeballs, is present. And then sometimes these patients will need a thyroidectomy and you might well have to help set them up for a thyroid. In terms of medications that we give, we give antithyroid medications, which there's two currently that I'm aware of that's propiothiosol and methamazolol. Goodness, those are quite wordy. Um, other things that we might give are sedatives, as ordered, especially if they're, you know, they've got that nervousness and those fine tremors and they're agitated. We want to avoid all stimulants. They don't need it. Their thyroid is stimulating them enough with that increased metabolism. And then we can do things for their heart rate, like give them a beta blocker, like propanolol, to help reduce the tachycardia that they're experiencing. Because if we don't do those things and the thyroid goes completely out of control again, then they'll end up in what we call a thyroid storm. Remember MT and then AC, those adrenals, we'll cover those later. Thyroid storm is an acute and life-threatening condition and it results from uncontrollable hyperthyroidism. And the way that this is caused is that the release of thyroid hormones could be that they've got severe stress or severe infection. And then the other big one is manipulation of the thyroid during some sort of surgery. And when we manipulate or irritate that thyroid, we actually stimulate it to release more. And so when people go in for surgery, for example, we do a lot of preventative measures. So we give the two antithyroid medications, that propiothiosol and the methamizolol, and we'll give beta blockers. We give, again, glucocorticoids, or we'll give iodides, and we can give all of these. We administer them all before someone goes to surgery to prevent a thyroid storm from occurring as a direct result of the manipulation of the thyroid. But let's say someone just goes into fully-fledged thyroid storm, or you're getting someone post-operatively, and your job is to figure out 
if they've got it or not, these patients are going to have an elevated temperature. They call it hyperprexia. So that's a fever, really high one. They're going to be very tachycardic, very hypertensive. They're going to have nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Again, they're going to have increased agitation, tremors, and anxiety. They'll be super irritable, restless, and confused. And if we don't do anything about it, they can then develop seizures, they'll get delirious, and they'll then drop into a coma. So how do we treat people who are in thyroid storm? Well, again, maintain their airway and breathing, monitor their vital signs, and watch for those cardiac dysrhythmias that have the potential to occur. And then you can also do cooling blankets and give the medications, give the antithyroid medications, give propanolol, give the glucocorticoids, and then give non-salicylate antipyretics because salicylates actually increase the free thyroid hormones in the body. So we want to give a non-salicylate antipyretic. So that's everything I've got for hypohyperthyroidism. Again, just remember MT because they're at risk for myxedema coma and thyroid storm. And they're literally just the opposites of each other. So in terms of hypothyroidism, if they're going to be lethargic and fatigued, guess what? The person in hyperthyroidism might have the irritability and the agitation. Hypothyroidism, constipated. Hyperthyroidism, thyroidism, diarrhea. So whatever happens in one, it's going to be the exact opposite in the other, because again, the thyroid is responsible for metabolism. So that's all I've got on this. Hope this was helpful. Go forth and keep on learning.